Hello and happy summer. Leah Pika here. Today's guest can help you level up your dashboard game and help you stay out of analysis paralysis. Stay tuned to find out who's making it rain on the Present Beyond Measure Show, episode 65. Welcome to the Present Beyond Measure Show, a podcast at the intersection of analytics, data visualization, and presentation awesomeness. You'll learn the best tips, tools, and techniques for creating analytics visualizations and presentations that inspire data-driven decisions and move you forward. If you're ready to get your insights understood and acted upon, you're in the right place. And now your host, Leah Pika. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to the 66th episode of the Present Beyond Measure Show, the only podcast at the intersection of presentation, data visualization, storytelling, and analytics. This is the place to be if you are ready to make maximum impact and create credibility through thoughtfully presented insights and ideas. And today you are here because... As summer is nigh and the world feels like it's slowly opening up once again, you are just so ready. The world feels like it's full of possibilities. I don't know about you, but it's actually a little unsettling and unfamiliar, but it just feels so expansive right now to be able to level up and expand our experiences in the world. And one thing I'm really excited about is expanding, is expanding how I can help you. And the biggest project I'm launching this year and how to do that is publishing my first book. If you haven't already heard, I know I talk about it a lot. If you're interested in being the first to know very specific launch details about the book, get access to exclusive goodies like bonus chapters, resources, how to even be involved in the launch and publication, then I invite you to join my book waiting list at leahpika.com slash the book. I am so excited about this project. I've poured my heart and soul into a book that is really about distilling the best of everything I learned in 10 years of painstaking self-study and putting it into sort of a, a handbook or a user manual for how you can create impact and drive change through live presentations every single time. So I am so excited for you to join me on this very exciting journey. It's exciting. Also, if you haven't already taken my online assessment, which is totally free, to find out what's stopping you from getting the glory and recognition and rewards you deserve when you're presenting data and trying to make an impact... I can't recommend it highly enough. You'll get a customized report of the biggest blind spots that you might be working with in terms of trying to affect change through live presentations. So get on over to leahpika.com slash assessment and find out how you can take some really quick and easy measures to level up that presentation game right away. And one more Itty bitty little thing to do for me before we dive in. If you are listening to this on the podcast app on your iPhone or your smartphone or you're on Spotify, please, if you don't want to miss any future episodes, hit subscribe right now. It's just right at the top of your podcast app or hit follow in Spotify. And then you'll never miss an episode and you'll get to hear about all the awesomeness that's coming your way. So just go and do it right now. I'll be patient. As usual, I'm super excited for today's guest. No surprises there. But in particular, what I love about today's guest is she is working in the data trenches as a practitioner, just like you. And she has so many valuable nuggets on how to make analysis and presenting analysis easier and more impactful. So let's dive in. All right, everyone. Today's special guest is the head of data at Better and Stronger Agency and a guest lecturer at Jean Moulin University Lyon. There's a very long name, but it's a wonderful business school. And she's been helping clients use their digital data better, and I'm guessing stronger, since 2015. She has spoken at numerous Measure Camp unconferences and at Measure Summit 2020 with yours truly. 
She is a Data Camp Leon and Measure Camp Leon organizer and also serves as vice president at AADF. It's a French-speaking digital analytics association. I would love for you to help me welcome the latest guest in my superstar women in analytics spotlight, Christina Grinko. Welcome. Thank you, Leah. Thank you for a great introduction. Thank you very much for having me. I'm so excited. I was so happy to find you. I was connected through Jason Krantz, I think as a mutual friend on LinkedIn, and he just pointed to you as someone to follow. And I've been loving the things that you're sharing. And I also saw you pop on the Measure Summit docket. So I was excited to connect. I was so happy that you reached out to me because for me, you're like a celebrity in digital (laughs) analytics industry. (laughs) So I was so honored to get a message from you. Oh, I appreciate that so much. (laughs) It's strange to hear that (laughs) when you're writing things from your little house, you know, in the middle of nowhere. But uh, I really appreciate that. And if there's any benefit of this so-called celebrity, it's being able to get really amazing practitioners like yourself out on people's radar to follow. So everyone loves an origin story. How did you fall into this wacky, wonderful world of analytics? So I actually started with digital marketing. I was an account manager and I was doing digital marketing campaigns in Google, Facebook, Bing, etc. And usually we had a problem with tracking conversions with our clients. And we realized that all our clients' analytics accounts They are so badly configured that you cannot really trust this data. You cannot do anything. And we realized actually in the agency that most of the clients, they just put standard analytics code on the website, on all pages, and that's it. And they were pleased with that. And I was really interested in all this tracking stuff. And I became more and more interested in this kind of projects. And my boss actually gave me the possibility to manage all the data project that that came to our agency. We decided to create a data department in our agency. And I uh, became the head of this department. So my role is to develop this department. And actually this year, I recruited my first team member. So I'm very happy about it. As I said, I came from digital marketing because I was really interested in all this tracking stuff. And yeah, I just, I was fascinated and I had this opportunity in my agency to do what I love. That's wonderful. I can definitely relate to that having started as a digital marketer, specifically SCM, uh, search engine marketing myself. And then once you get bitten by the analytics bug, there's almost like this forensic side of us that comes out if you've ever loved watching SVU (laughs) or CSI and getting to the heart of a mystery. It's I think it appeals to that sensibility. So I definitely feel that. One thing I'd love to do is help educate people on, you know, what it is you and your organization help people do. So if we were locked in a room for three hours, what would you and Better and Stronger help me be able to do better by the time we come out? (laughs) Well, if you have a business, I think we will help you to develop this business from national to international and raise your revenue. Oh, okay. (laughs) That's a pretty good pitch right there. I think everyone wants that. That's fantastic. And we can talk about how you actually go about helping your clients do that. What I want to talk about is your awesome theme behind your Measure Summit 2020 session, which was to stop analyzing and start taking action. And as a former analyst, I know the rabbit hole so well of just wanting to find all the information and keep finding the information to a point where I feel like I don't know which direction to recommend. I'm not really clear that there's one forward path. And to be honest, for me, I love the process of analyzing so much that the whole action part feels like the not so fun stuff that you have to get to. So when it comes to analyzing data, how do you characterize analysis paralysis? What are the symptoms of this? 
Well, it's very interesting to analyze. I absolutely agree. It's nice to find plenty of different insights in your data, understand, oh, here we can change this and that, and etc. But actually, for myself, I realized that this analysis paralysis, as you said, it was somehow disappointing for me and frustrating. I started to realize that, hey, what's the point of doing all this analysis? <laughs> Should we do something about it? And I remember when I started doing analytics, one of uh, my clients said, could you please find out why we don't get enough context on this page? I said, yeah, it's because when you do a search, a research on this page, you get the results that are absolutely irrelevant. Oh, you found that? I said, yeah. Well, we actually knew about it. So we were planning to change it next year. And have you found anything else? I said, no, it's uh, the most important no, problem. No, this is actually. it. <laughs> yeah, this, this is it. Oh, yeah, we will, we will change it next year. And it was like the beginning of the year, you know. <laughs> and, and I actually realized that for, for me, it was devastating. I said, well, I spent two hours to find the main reason. And then you say that you will wait like almost two years to change it when uh, everybody priorities. like priorities uh, <laughs> priorities <laughs> you need to find for the attention of people on the internet there are so many websites so many competitors and when they see that on your website they will go away so you need to fix it right away how do you help an organization reprioritize when you you're directly answering their question you clearly have a clear answer to their question, but they don't seem bought into the solution to that in advance of maybe other priorities that they have top of mind. So how do you help organizations reprioritize based on the fact that they're coming to you about that specific issue? Well, actually, at the beginning, you need to ask a lot of questions. You need to ask your clients all the possible questions about their business and about their goals. And I actually loved the logic that Tim Wilson presented on Superweek. When you say, what is your annual goal? He says, um, we don't know. <laughs> and you say, okay, how much money do you, want, do you want to make? Well, we don't really know. And you say, okay, 10 millions or 10,000? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the client said, well, yeah, maybe 10 millions. And you start, okay, so more like, <laughs> more like really 10 millions or you're expecting more 5 millions or... So you start asking questions, like giving an answer in this question, if they don't know. But at first you need to listen you need to make them talk, uh, listen, and then maybe prepare the answers. But there are plenty of conferences where people say, and actually Peter O'Neill uh, did one conference on this on the topic that you start with the business objective. Everybody says that. We know that we know the song. We say, okay, oh my God, you will talk about business objectives once again. But I realize that it's actually so important. And even if we've heard about it so much, sometimes we have a tendency to forget. Like, for example, one, one of my clients, I gave this example on Measure Summit. Their goal is to get the maximum return on investment. It means they, they need to maintain the amount of spend that makes their cost of sales relevant to them. And they want always to grow their revenue. So two of the most important metrics, and we always start with these two metrics. And our client is international. They operate in plenty of countries. So having these two metrics per country, it's quite a lot of information. That's interesting. And I love that you referenced Tim Wilson's Super Week session. I'll definitely make sure to put that on the show notes. He's a dear friend of mine, and I'm totally bought into all of the ways that he <laughs> helps clients really get out of their own way. And what I would say is, it's interesting to ask people what they want. You know, how much money do you want to make? And of course, people are going to, they might not even be able to picture it's possible to make tens of millions. But of course, if you ask them, they're going to be like, well, yeah. 
I'd love to. <laughs> but for me, a lot of the question that I start with is like, what do you actually need right now to be successful? What do you need to cover the investment that you've made? And whatever else factors into that calculation, what's that bare minimum? And then where can we shoot reasonably above that? Because I think when you have realistic expectations based on the need to recoup whatever investment is there, then I think you have a really clear starting point rather than going between such a wide spectrum of <laughs> 10,000 and you know tens of millions. But that's really neat. I'll, I'll definitely check that out. And you know, something I think that's also contributed to the sort of lack of direction I often find clients aren't able to give is what I call the FYI culture. It's just requesting data and updates and numbers that are based on well, what's new, what's happening, but it's not necessarily aligned with a particular business objective or goal or benchmark that they have set for themselves. Just to be in control. That and also I think a gamified aspect where you launch a website and there's visits and there's this like ding, ding, ding stimulation of reward there, but it's not necessarily fueling a particular set of steps or recommendations for improving upon that. I don't know what you think about that. Do you find yourself often asked for numbers just for the heck of it or that they have a good amount of direction? Yeah, it's absolutely true. And now with the amount of experience I have, I feel myself responsible to say to a client, to tell a client, hey, do you really need this KPIs? We've just added 20 pages in Google Data Studio. <laughs> Do you really analyze everything here? Yeah, well, not always, but I say, hey, we just need one page. It's like a photo. You look at the photo and you see right away that there's a problem. <laughs> That's what you actually need. You don't need all these KPIs. What are your goals? Don't forget about your goals. Just sometimes we are afraid to say things honestly to clients like, why would you do that? Why would you need all this stuff? <laughs> why would you do that? I'll have to yeah. remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes we can say, hey, let's do it differently from my expert point of view. And you'll see that it's better this way. So sometimes we can just put our expert hat and maybe uh, take a lead Mm -hmm. on the mm -hmm. client. Yeah. Sometimes I think you do. And, you know, part of what I share in my online course is this questionnaire format that helps lead the client down that inquiry. It really is like a line of inquiry that in a human language, they might not be accustomed to. Because I kept getting requests for all the numbers that you have in the platform. <laughs> and I'll pick out the numbers. I'll pick out the ones that I like. And obviously, that isn't action oriented, as, as you said. So for you, why is it important for practitioners and organizations to recognize and then step out of analysis paralysis? What's at stake? Why is it important? But because you don't move forward, if you get paralyzed, and there is nothing that changes. I mean, we all are part of some mechanism that is called a company or enterprise or agency. And we, we want to see the impact. Sometimes we, are, we want to know that thanks to us, to our work, we see the growth in company and we see that the client opened the offices in several other countries, like, uh, I don't know, when the client goes international, thanks to your analysis, thanks to your recommendations. And I think it's so, uh, it's so great to know and it's motivating. So I think it's motivating for you as a professional. So this is how it worked for me. It gave me an energy to see that my work has impact. And therefore, I don't know, sometimes I can go and work all the Sunday, my Sunday, just because I'm so inspired and motivated and that I'm willing to spend my free time working because it's cool knowing that you really, you, you impact and you make things get better and move forward. 
Mm -hmm. I see. You know, motivation is something pretty important because I know as a practitioner, I felt pretty demotivated if I felt like what I was presenting wasn't getting acted on or recommendations weren't landing. But looking in retrospect, I probably gave too much information and it wasn't clear how my insights were tying to what I was recommending. So how do you find that perfect point when the analysis is good enough? I try not to say perfect or complete, but it's good enough. And where action begins? Well, what I presented in Measure Summit, it was the analysis action logic, is that you provide an analysis and you recommend an action right away. And you say it's extremely important. You should do it right away because if not, I don't promise you good result next month. Interesting. Okay. And you don't wait for the client to read your analysis and to get the inside himself, you just put everything on the table. So here are the numbers. And that's what we recommend. That is our analysis. If you trust us, and if you realize the importance of this recommendation, please do something. And that's how you can do it. I see. So can you give an example? I know in your session, you kind of walked through an example of this. I'd love to see how the logic actually plays out. For example, we have two important KPIs for one client. If we realize that there's a problem with the revenue, we, we got less revenue last month than the previous year. We start to analyze, so where does it come from? Did we get less sessions? Did we get the conversion rate that were less important than the previous year? Or did we get the average basket that were smaller than the last year? And we realized that the conversion rate decreased. So we start analyzing what happens. Where do we lose clients? What moment? And we always analyze what happens on the website and what happens externally from other point of view, like what the competitors do, what happens in our digital campaigns. Did we change something in digital campaign that the traffic is irrelevant? For, for example, if we change nothing, let's check the competitors. Maybe they have a perfect offer because we know that we have a lot of competitors for this client and uh, the product is the same on every website. It's just that we sometimes their competitors, they add some additional value to the product like free delivery or a discount, like a small discount on the product. So we try to check, is there something that they change on the market, on the competitor's website? If nothing changed, nothing changed in the campaigns, nothing changed on the website, nothing changed on competitor's website, let's check on our website what's happening. Where do we lose them, this client? Why don't they buy? And then we try to analyze the page where we, do, where we lose more clients than usually. For example, once we realized that we actually lost our clients on the payment page and we realized that our competitor had five or six payment options, whereas we had two and we, it was absolutely obvious for us what we needed to change. And I was happy when the client said, okay, we will do it right away. We will find a solution to get more payment options on the website. And for me, it was great. I said, oh my God, you will do it right away. <laughs> <laughs> and, what? <laughs> uh, so actually, this is the example of how it works for me and uh, with our clients. So it feels like a forensic investigation almost. You are really methodically looking at a change in the KPI and not 20 KPIs because you'd have to take the K out of the KPI at that point if you have 20 of them. But looking at that change, your North Star, and then looking at all of the different angles that you can look at the experience that lead to that KPI, finding that. So that feels really approachable and methodical and very similar to, you know, the Pika protocol method that I use. So I, I appreciate that. It, it feels good to have that sort of approach reaffirmed. 
Somehow we needed actually to create this approach, especially for our international clients, because when you need to analyze, I don't know, 50 countries. Sure. Yeah. Wow. You really need to pay attention to what KPI do you choose? What KPIs do you choose? And we realized, hey, we cannot analyze all the KPIs for all these countries. We need to choose the most important one and the micro KPIs. And we did. We chose like two North Star metrics and three less important KPIs, but that can show more information if we need it. And that's it. We actually, it was for some of our clients, it's the solution that can spare uh, spare us some time, actually. I like that idea that you have these two, but it can feel like there are big blind spots, maybe, if you're reducing the success of a business down to only two. But I do like this idea of, you know, surrounding micro KPIs for additional context. That's great. You actually, you, you have an option to go and analyze other KPIs because you always have this information in your CRM, in your analytics. So whenever we don't get enough information from those KPIs we choose, we go and analyze deeper, but we do it per country and for the countries, problematic countries where we don't really know what's happening. So. We always have this information stocked somewhere in analytics, in BigQuery, you know, we have an access to that if we really need. But why analyze it if we realize that there is a problem in, I don't know, the revenue decreased because of the average basket that decreased. And that was because the product became less expensive. M, we interrupt this interview content for a brief message brought to you by me. There's never been a more important time for presenting data accurately, confidently, and impactfully to your stakeholders and clients. If you're a leader or agency owner whose team is responsible for driving database decisions and keeping satisfied clients, and if you've tried other data storytelling instructors in the past who just missed the mark, I get it. With over seven years of experience training data and digital practitioners in the unique art and science of presenting data, who knows the unique challenges of this field, having been in it myself for 12 years, I'm ready to help. I offer both live, virtual, and online course offerings with ongoing learning support options that suit your organization's specific needs. Visit leahpika.com slash workshops to schedule your strategy session with me, and we'll get started on your custom training solution today. That's leahpika.com slash workshops. I would imagine you work with dashboards a fair amount, and recently I've been kind of philosophically trying to understand and speak on the difference between dashboards and data storytelling or, or presentation style stories. So what's your take on dashboards versus data storytelling? I wouldn't say that it's different for me. I want a dashboard to be a storytelling tool. Okay. Sometimes we, we built entirely the presentation in Google Data Studio, you know, for example, in the dashboard tool. For me, I don't set these two apart. Okay. That's fair. What do you think? Well, knowing kind of what a story means to me, it essentially means a narrative arc where there's a shape to the actual way that the story or data is shared. So I specialize in like live presentation of data. So for me, there's a more linear arc line to how the data is unfolded. And that consists of you're setting the stage with your context and your current state of KPIs, but you're expressing that there might have been a change in one of them, which starts to elevate that action. And then I really agitate that tension at the top or the climax of that arc, where I'm showing, you know, the biggest issue facing us, what are the stakes if we don't take any action? And then I use the recommendations to start to pull that action back down. It's called the falling action to begin to alleviate that tension and that agitation. And then everyone talking about the plan and the recommendations and walking out of a room with some sort of plan of action is the resolution to that narrative arc that I 
started. So I've seen it be challenging to overlay that structure in a dashboard because for me, a dashboard is a self-serve visual tool to help empower basic decisions on the part of the end user without having to understand the complexity behind the analysis or the real inner workings, but they can look at that and be immediately alerted to changes that they should be aware of that they need to act on. But I'm always trying to be open-minded about how I see the two, the two separate, but where they can intersect as well. Okay. I understand. Do you use sometimes like, uh, I don't know, the narrative to make clients realize that the actions need to be taken like immediately? Do you, I don't know, scare them a little bit? (laughs) (laughs) By the way, I love when guests ask me questions. (laughs) So the answer is yes. I try not to do it from a manipulative place. But for me, data presentation is a vehicle of persuasion. And sometimes, especially if cultures can be slow moving or not as motivated to take action, I do leverage, and this is used with with many other fellow colleague trainers and instructors, but I use a principle called loss aversion, where humans would rather do something to avoid losing something than do something that would gain them something. They'd rather give up a benefit than lose something they already have. So for me, it can really depend because If I'm working with an optimistic audience, they might actually like their recommendations in a benefits-oriented upside angle, like, well, this is what we're going to gain. And people are like, oh, okay. And they're motivated by that. But for many who tend to operate from a place of scarcity, and that's human nature for the most part, showing what is at stake if no action is taken can be a very powerful motivating tool, as long as it's not done in a way that is alarmist or blatantly manipulative. That's like, guys, we're going out of business unless we do this. (laughs) Obviously, that's going to get old quick and you don't want to be crying wolf in those situations. So that's a really good question. Glad you asked. (laughs) But do you think you can use sometimes both like benefit trick and loss aversion? For example, if you are not sure about the audience you have. Yeah, if you're not really sure, I could see presenting both. You want to actually gauge the reaction to the benefits because if people are like, that sounds nice, but that doesn't sound like it's my table stakes next move to either survive better in this market or hit our growth goals. I like to frame things as there's an obstacle, like another story mechanic is that the issue you're finding in your data is a villain. It's the obstacle to your success and your transformation as a company or a client. So how can I show you how important it is to knock that obstacle down? Okay, thanks. I, I see the point. <laughs> <laughs> and villains are scary. Yeah, you know, they could be scary sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I love that you asked that. I'd actually love to transition to the world of presentation a bit because you're an up-and-coming speaker on the circuit and an organizer of, <laughs> quote, unconferences like Awesome Measure Camp. I'm still aiming to speak at those, but I've actually never attended one. So for those of us who've never attended an unconference, what makes Measure Camp and these other non-traditional events special? Why would someone choose to go? So I'll promote a little bit the Measure Camp, French Measure Camp this year. So we actually wanted to do the first Lyon Measure Camp this year in April, but of course we couldn't, (laughs) obviously. (laughs) Not in April, in March, sorry. But anyway, we couldn't do that. And we decided to create the first virtual Measure Camp 
French measure camp. And there was actually one uh, virtual measure camp Europe this year, organized by Peter O'Neill and a lot of other known digital analysts. We will organize one virtual measure camp the 28th of November, and there will be a second tickets release the 12th of November. Usually people ask the question, is it going to be in French? Well, we're planning to dedicate one session room to English speakers and to English audience. So you can be there if you want. (laughs) I would be happy to see you there. And actually, the format is that you can decide the same day that you want to present and you can present your session. And the nice stuff about this unconference is that you don't have to be invited to present as on many conferences, but if you really want to discuss a subject, to launch a discussion or to do a presentation, you're free to do that. So actually, my, the first presentation I've ever made was on Measure Camp because nobody knew me and nobody invited me. So, so I actually used this chance to present and to share my thoughts and it gave my career a huge boost. I love Measure Camp for that. So we're organizing one Uh, the 28th. So you can get your tickets. Okay. And are you still accepting speakers for that conference in case there are aspiring speakers out there like you? Actually, there are no speakers. Right. Okay. It's like whatever you want to do with the session. (laughs) Yes. If you want to present, you can present. It just, uh, we actually sent for the participants who already got their tickets. We sent a Google form to understand if there are any people who already decided to present something, just to make sure that we can fill the morning sessions, the time we can get other sessions on board, because people actually can decide the same day if they want to present or not, and they can book the schedule and they can book their session room. So actually, there are no speakers in advance. That is the beauty of this conference and complexity at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, I'm still wrapping my head around it. But what was one of your favorite sessions from the measure camps you've been to? Well, I remember the session of Adam Greco. Mm, Sure, sure. He actually talked about Adobe Analytics. And I was absolutely, I was not interested in Adobe Analytics. I've never worked with Adobe Analytics and I were, were not supposed to work with it because here in France, they don't really use a lot Adobe Analytics and I, I never had an opportunity, but I've heard about Adam Greca and I just wanted to see his session. And actually, I realized it was so interesting for me, the way he presented, even if I didn't care at all about Adobe Analytics, but I loved to hear his presentation because the narrative, the storytelling behind this presentation was just perfect. And there are different kind of presentation and measure comes. Sometimes there are interesting stories. And sometimes, for example, there are technical presentations that can be boring unfortunately but they has plenty of useful information just like you you still there and you still listen because there are plenty of different tips and tricks about how to use gtm for example but there's no narrative behind it you know no no storytelling but still you know that you will get a lot of useful information there and measure camp you you can get plenty of different kind of speakers I'm sure you get a much wider variety because you can see the same names pop up on the event circuit. I agree with you. Adam is absolutely one of the most outstanding speakers that I've seen on our circuit. And his style was a big inspiration for the kind of experience I wanted to create for my audience is very story based and immersed. Yeah. So I'll definitely let him know you gave him a shout out. (laughs) (laughs) So as you're growing as a speaker, Christina, what would you say is the area of growth that you're focusing on for speaking right now? I'm actually working now on my English. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Because I'm Ukrainian who works in France and I speak (laughs) French (laughs) every day and Ukrainian or Russian with my family and friends. So I I realized that actually I, I started to forget English and all I learned at school. 
So I'm not feeling confident enough about my English uh, knowledge. So I try to improve it doing some English courses and uh, having some lessons with the English teacher. Well, as I say, sometimes you see a technical presentation and sometimes you see a super interesting presentation. And for me, the goal is to be someone who can share valuable information in a simple and in an interesting way. That something that I share is actionable, useful, it's nice trick and nice tip. Yeah. But at the same time, it's presented in an interesting way. Right, right. Something memorable. That is essentially the sweet spot for sure. You know, I have heard that one of the best ways to practice English is to listen to English things like this particular podcast. So I would just suggest that for anyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is really good advice. And that is absolutely what should be the goal of any professional speaker is sharing valuable, useful, actionable information in a way that is memorable. Okay, so we've arrived at our next segment, which is called The Upgrade, which is a tool, a resource, a book, something like you just said, something that people can go and check out right now and instantly be like, wow, that is cool. Just something that helps your work. So what do you got for us? I'll have two things to share. The first is that the book I recently read that is called Essentialism. Oh, yeah. I really <laughs> <it>. <laughs> you it's know it? One. Oh, yes. I am a maximalist, not an essentialist, but <laughs> inspiring. Yeah, me too. So <laughs> it was, I needed to read that one. So, yeah, and I would really advise this book. What about a tool? I work a lot with a Ukrainian tool that is called OVOX. And I actually recently made a webinar with OVOX about their tool. And I love it really very much and I advise it. They have some interesting add-ons that are free for importing your data from BigQuery to Google Sheets and importing some data from Google Sheet automatically to Google Analytics. They also have a tool to export some cost data from non-Google tools to Google Analytics and GA data to BigQuery. So there are plenty of different tools and some of them that they give for free. And I love this company because they share a lot of insights, a lot of educational sources, and the, the tool is really great. So... I would advise it to the audience. Nice. How do you spell that? Owox. It's O-W-O-X-B-I. O-X-B-I. Okay. That's what I thought. Great. And just in case people aren't aware of what the book Essentialism about, essentially, <laughs> it's about focusing on one thing. It's, it's this idea that you're focusing sort of at one thing on the time that is the most important thing sort of the opposite of multitasking, if I have that right. Yeah, that's right. And actually saying no to some things that are not important and asking yourself a question. Okay, if I agree to that project, to this proposition, will it help me to approach my goals, <laughs> my main goals? And if the answer is something like, I don't know, or not, not. So it's obvious that you should have, you should say no. <laughs> that is a really good question to keep on track when I think all of us are feeling in a deep state of overwhelm, especially this year around what do we do now? <laughs> What's the next? What do we do now? Yeah. I call it the and next right thing is that, what is that thing? And it's related to the question, what do I want actually? What is my main goal? Maybe for this year or for my life, you know, but uh, and does it help me to achieve my goal or not? That's a good one. What do I want? And the, does it help me achieve the goal? You know, it's, it's strange, but a lot of people don't know what they want. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> really? <laughs> well, I think they know 
but they won't let themselves know because it doesn't feel like a convenient thing to want in the context of how their life is set up. I face that a lot. I know what I really want. And I feel about a million miles from that mountain because of what I have to do. So it's always, what is the next right thing to meet my responsibilities today, but also move me a bit closer to what I know I want under there? (laughs) All right. So this is our final question. Think very hard here. Okay. Imagine this very plausible scenario. You're perusing the enormous, beautiful bookshelves of the Admont Abbey Library in Austria, when suddenly you trip and fall into a vortex that brings you back to the moment that you're about to deliver your first presentation. Do you remember what you're presenting about and what advice would today you give to yesterday you? I would say be more confident about the recommendation you give. If you're sure about your presentation and you know that this is the right things to do, be confident enough to insist on it. Mm, Wow. Okay. Interesting. Because actually, I remember that the first presentation I presented is it being an intern. And of course, I wasn't confident enough about my skills, my expertise to say, hey, guys, don't you see that this is the main problem we have and that." This needs to be changed immediately. And actually, yeah, if you're sure about your insights and recommendation, don't be afraid to say, hey, it needs to be changed right away. That's the point of this presentation. I see. Wow, I really love that. You know, earlier you had talked about the trust that you have with your clients. And sometimes it feels like the more assertive you are, the more confident you are, the more trust they're going to have, even if you're recommending something that might feel confronting or not feasible. So if you had to close this, how would you recommend building that trust, not only building their trust in you, but that confidence in yourself to say, no, we should do this right away, please. (laughs) (laughs) There's a book that is called uh, How to Be Assertive. (laughs) Oh, there is? Okay. (laughs) There is one. Perfect. Actually, it's a nice one to read. But you need to be sure about your analysis. You need to sometimes explore it from different sides. And when you're sure about your recommendation and you're confident, you will be assertive. Just don't be afraid to be assertive. Because actually you want to you want a good thing for your client, right? So you want the best thing for a client. Why would you be afraid? Right, exactly. I think everyone is so afraid of making a mistake. You know, the analyst population feels like a more risk averse general personality type, myself included. And you desperately don't want to mess up. But what I think where I found my own confidence was first having senior advocates that were standing behind me in my corner, helping reinforce my confidence, but also being transparent about the level of confidence that I have in my own analysis, but still saying, this is as close as we can get, and we still are recommending moving forward. Yeah, you know, that's the good point that sometimes we can be honest enough and say, hey, I'm not 100% sure that this change, this small change will increase your revenue, I don't know, by 50%. I'm not sure, but I strongly believe that this is the important thing to do and you should do that. But I can tell you honestly that I'm not 100% sure. And sometimes, you know, really it helped me sometimes to be confident by saying that you're not confident enough or you're not sure enough about the recommendation you gave. Yeah, this is a lot to think about. And that was actually a great additional (laughs) extra part to our question. But before we completely wrap, you're going to be one of my final episodes in this somewhat unique year we call 2020. I'd love to know if you had a message for the practitioner and leadership community of data right now, what would that be? I would say, hey, there are plenty of data about COVID. You can explore it and do some data visualization, but they already do that. 
I don't know, for me, it was the year that I focused on work because it actually all you all you've got <laughs> on on remote. But when you don't have the possibility to travel or to explore the street <laughs> near in your city, focus maybe at this time on your career, on your work, and wait for this period to end. It's going to end anyway. Just maybe put yourself in some automatic mode, like saying, hey, I'm focused on the work for now. Let's move my career forward and we'll travel later. <laughs> <laughs> Have patience, we'll travel. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's a really important message is remembering that there might be aspects of our life that never truly go back to the way they were. But this, the extremity of this period will end one day and, and having patience. Love that advice. Well, this was such a lovely, insightful conversation. We took a couple different meandering paths, but I really felt like I learned a lot and our listeners have too. So let the listeners know where they can keep up with you or get in contact with you. LinkedIn. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. She is active on LinkedIn. <laughs> yes. yes, I am. <laughs> I will answer to all the messages. So please free to free to add me on LinkedIn and send me a message <laughs> if you want. Perfect. And all the links that you mentioned around the unconferences are also going to be on the show notes page for this episode. So I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. It was really a pleasure. And I look forward to our paths constantly crossing on LinkedIn where they <laughs> seem to be already. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Leah. Thank you for having me. All right, as usual, I hope that you found that episode really insightful and useful. Christina is definitely one to watch. I absolutely love getting to showcase up and coming speakers in the analytics field, especially of the female persuasion. I might be a little bit biased, but definitely look to her, especially if you're looking for female speakers in the field, which I also love how conferences are really focusing a lot on that as well. So to catch all of the links to everything that we talked about mentioned today, visit the show notes page at leahpika.com slash 066. Remember, if you like what you're hearing, hop on over to iTunes, just hit that subscribe button or follow in Spotify. And please, I would love if you could leave a rating and review. They are so appreciated because this show takes a lot of work to put on and it tells me that I'm on the right track for you and it helps other practitioners like you get this valuable information. And I'll leave you with today's presentation inspiration by Oren Woodward. And that is analysis paralysis occurs when you overthink and underwork. <laughs> I really, really love this one. My take, when analysis is literally built into the core of our job description, it can be all too easy to overthink everything and not take that powerful first step towards action. I might be speaking directly from my own experience a little bit here. <laughs> and I also have experienced that the power to find that perfect line, the perfect midpoint of when to have a little less conversation with yourself and take a little more action, you will inevitably take those vital steps towards becoming the person of influence and thought leadership you are destined to become. I know it. And a really first great step would be to take that assessment of mine that I mentioned before. So please don't forget to take that to find out what's stopping you from getting all of the glory and recognition and the action that you deserve from presenting data impactfully. That is at leahpika.com slash assessment. That's it for today. Until next time, stay well, stay safe, and namaste. Namaste.